We have heard this parable so many times. It's part of our cultural heritage, our cultural currency, to be a good Samaritan. Let me tell you a little bit about this parable. So just on the surface, the road to Jerusalem from Jericho is deadly, really deadly. It is barren, it is rocky, and it is a mountainous journey for 14 miles, okay? 14 miles. The elevation drops from 2,500 feet to 800 feet below sea level, okay? So that's a 3,300-foot drop in elevation. In 14 miles, that's pretty quick. In a steep ascent and descent, cliffs, rock sides, and little resources for travelers. It was known at that time as the road of blood because hiding in those rocks and in those crevices were robbers who preyed upon the travelers who were unprepared. Now, the priest and the Levites. In this time, these were the Jewish servants of the temple. And for them to touch a dead body would have meant being ritually unclean for seven days. Now, you might think, okay, seven days, but seven days they wouldn't be able to be with their family. They would have to quarantine completely away from the entire family and friends, and they wouldn't be able to do their work in the temple for their livelihood for seven days. And there was extensive purification rites that they would need to go through during those seven days in order to be declared clean again. Now, one could assume and argue that because of that, kind of their lens as they're walking down this road, not to mention the deadly road, the way of blood, they see this body and they assume they're dead. They don't get closer. They don't even want to get closer for fear of this ritual uncleanness. They didn't get close enough to check. Now, the Samaritan is also traveling down this road. Universally maligned at the time by the Jews, the Samaritans were the outcasts in that area. But the difference between the Samaritan in this case and the priest and the Levite, is that he did not back away once he saw the body. He actually drew near, right there in your scripture. He drew near. He didn't go run up, running up to it, but he drew near, probably could see the person was still breathing, maybe saw a little bit of movement, maybe heard a bit of a cry. So then he moved forward to tend the person. It was enough. So it's interesting that Jesus, considering the feelings of the Jews toward the Samaritans, they had theologically diverse opinions, they had a different place of worship, it's interesting that Jesus makes him the Did you know that Samaritans exist today? There's only about a thousand left, like technically Samaritans. Their historic land is the West Bank. And their holy place for God is not the Jerusalem temple or the mount, but a place called Mount Gerizim, a different place of worship. 
You get some of the hints of these theological differences when Jesus has a long theological conversation with a woman, shocking, a woman at that time, the Samaritan woman at the well. And she's like, you say we're supposed to worship here. And you and we worship over here. And Jesus says, I'm not even going to do this with you. I'm the one. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one for worship. So he, he basically dispels that argument with himself. Now the man in the ditch, he's nameless, he's faceless, he's undescribed, but all we know is that he went from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among robbers and then was founded and tended by the Samaritan, who was presumably his enemy. A parable is, a, is, is meant to invite us in. It's meant to communicate something deeper than a tweet or a newspaper headline. So at this point, we could have these headlines. Man left for dead, thieves still at large. Traveler saves robbery victim. Jerusalem to Jericho Road dangerous, locals protest. Random act of kindness saves assault victim. All of those would be great headlines, but they would miss an important truth. The early church was much better than us at reading parables. They looked at scripture as many layered. We've only been scratching the surface. They look at scripture as deeper and inviting us deeper beyond the surface story with the aid of the Holy Spirit. This is how scripture reads itself. In scripture, we have Jesus and Paul and Peter and many others quoting the Old Testament and putting a new reframing on those stories in light of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So scripture, we have the model of this in scripture itself to read more deeply into the stories. Everyday things like seeds and water, fire and wind and trees and fruit, as we heard two weeks ago, they become something more than just themselves. They become truths for a new reality. And the same is true for this parable. At first glance, it's a simple morality tale. That's how we always use it. Who are we supposed to be? Who are we supposed to be? It's We're supposed to be the Good Samaritan. We're supposed to stop and help strangers. Or maybe, maybe we might spin it a little bit and say, ha, shocking, uh, help might come from the person you least expected the person who is your enemy. Now, don't get me wrong. These interpretations are great, and we need more back in our current common life together. But this parable isn't a setup as how to live this life, what we must do. That is not how it's set up. Look again. The beginning. What instigates this parable? The lawyer asks, what must I do to gain eternal life? And then when Jesus answers him, kind of a half answer, he quibbles with Jesus 
to figure out what neighbor really needs, because he's trying to wheedle his way around what that might mean. Purely moral interpretations like this puts all of the responsibility on us as humans, as the center of the story. Now, we know enough about a relationship with Jesus Christ and what the scripture says about salvation and eternal life to know that we are not at the center of that story, and it's not what we do. From the earliest days of the church, through the centuries, the church has read this story, not as a prescription for earning eternal life, but a description for how we have already received it. I'm going to say that one more time. It's not a prescription for how we earn eternal life, but a description of how we have already received eternal life. Jesus invites the listener to acknowledge the mercy that they themselves have already received. So now I invite you to close your eyes, and I'd like for you to listen again to this parable. Do not pass the Good Samaritan as what you should do. Pass Jesus in that role. And cast yourself as the person in your dish. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And so likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. The Samaritan, while traveling, came near him. And when he saw him, he was moved. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. He put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Now, lest you think I'm making up this interpretation of Jesus as the Good Samaritan, here's what Origen one of the greatest theologians of the early church, wrote, The man who was going down is Adam. Jerusalem is paradise, and Jericho is the world. The robbers are hostile powers. The priest is the law, and the Levite is the prophets, and the Samaritan is Christ. The wounds are disobedience. The inn, which accepts all who would enter, is the church. The manager of the inn is the leader of the church, to whom its care has been instructed. And the fact that the Samaritan promises he will return represents our Savior's second Other interpreters have built on this. Augustine, Chrysostom, Irenaeus, Ignatius. They have built on this and added that the oil is the anointing of the Spirit often done in those days at baptism, and the wine is the Eucharist of Christ, the blood of Christ. 
better headline for this parable is God saves humanity and promises to return. Jesus artfully answers the lawyer's question with a description of himself and his mission. We are God's neighbors. We are God's neighbors. In John chapter 1, there's this beautiful line talking about Jesus taking on human flesh and moving into the neighborhood. That's what the Greek says. He moved into the neighborhood. He is now our near neighbor. But the lawyer didn't get it. The lawyer didn't get it. And we don't often. He was looking for a checklist to get eternal life, and Jesus offered him a relationship. The lawyer was confident, confident in his ability to love God and love his neighbor perfectly, and Jesus was trying to show him it was impossible to do what the Good Samaritan did every single moment of every single hour of an entire lifetime. Later, eight chapters from now, we'll hear in Luke's gospel the same exact question, and this time it's on the lips of the rich young ruler. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And in this case, Jesus says, sell all you have and give it to the poor and come follow me. And the young man in this case, he's not confident. He leaves sad because he realizes the enormity of what Jesus is asking of him. and He's not up to it. And at that point, you get the cry from the disciples saying, who can then be saved? And Jesus says, with humans, it's impossible. But with God, nothing is impossible. Putting it squarely back to where it belongs, not on our shoulders, but on Christ's. The lawyer focuses on himself, not the one pulling him out of the ditch, giving him mercy. So where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? How do we live this this next week? It's not about you. It's about who God is. And it's not about what we do, but what God has already done. You have received eternal life. Now share that life with others. You have received mercy. Share that mercy that you have received. It's not about being a good person, but sharing the joy of knowing the person of Jesus Christ. You have been brought out of the ditch by God, your own particular ditch. We each have one. We each have one. And with God's help, find other people who might be in that same ditch and share with them the mercy through Christ that you have received, God's own love. Why? Not to earn heaven, but to share heaven. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.